Welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jonathan Wall here, joined as always by the serial killer, Chris McCormick, and not Andrew Tursky. Gene, you do not look like Andrew Tursky. Gene Parenti, founder of Golf Laboratories, maybe potential, hopefully, fingers crossed, new co-host of Fully Equipped. Thank you for being on and, and filling Tursky's vans. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Quite a few pounds more than Tursky, a few inches shorter, definitely much less hair on the uh, noodle, but uh, I'll do my best. I've been, definitely will. I've been gone for the last two weeks. I've been running around and working on other projects. <laughs> no, Chris hasn't been around. I, you missed did, a little bit, Chris. Did Tursky get canceled? Like, what happened? Yeah, well, this, this is the cancel culture. Tursky's out. So for those, yeah, for those that, that didn't hear, go back and listen to last week's podcast. There's a really nice, I guess I would say, I was pretty nice to Tursky on the way out, although he did have a gun to my head. But I said some nice things to him as he departed after two years. So yeah, Tursky's gone. No more Gatorade and water. I, I know, I know coach, I know coach is happy. I got to say that coach is definitely coach, happy. Coach is happy. I, I kicked him out of the office as soon as we stopped recording. <laughs> we'll all be able to sleep <laughs> a little easier did. now knowing that Tursky's not lurking somewhere Whew. in the building. He's still <clears> lurking <throat> in Scottsdale though. So, so coach might see him on the street with his, so Gene doesn't know this, but, but coach had a problem with Tursky mixing Gatorade and water and he would mix like, I would say one eighths part Gatorade and seven eighths water. And for whatever reason, I don't know what it was coach. You really were not a fan of, of that mixture. It, it just creeped me out sitting there watching him with a bottle of water and a Powerade and then like a plastic cup and sitting there concocting them together. And I'm just like, who does that? You have to be a crazy person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know there were there. Tursky did have some quirks. I'm sure Gene does as well. So for those who oh, yeah. don't know Gene, we did a podcast with Gene. I'd probably say it was a couple of months ago where we we kind of got into Gene's background. He is the founder of, of Golf Laboratories, which means he's now the smartest guy in the room. I like to call him Mr. Robot. But Mr. Robot. Gene has like Gene has a has a background in in robot testing and for this year's club test, we did robotic testing on all of the new drivers. And I guess not just the new drivers, but also the current products. So the carryovers like the Titleist and the Ping and and got insights doing nine-point driver testing. So in the past, we had done three points, middle, high toe, low heel. And this year, we did nine. And we found a lot of really cool insights by testing. And I guess first things first, Gene, because people are going to hear this pod and they're going to say, okay, you've got a robot guy on the pod. Why the hell should I care about robotic testing? What, what would your response be to the person who's, who's wondering how they can sort of glean insights from, from this sort of data to benefit their own game? That's a good question, Jonathan. And what I would answer to that is this, uh, and this extends itself from a beginning golfer to the number one player in the world. It is almost impossible to duplicate the same swing twice, much less five or 10 times. And what I mean by that is if you're trying to figure out what a golf club's doing on the toe, let's say, for even a tour player, 
to consciously hit the ball on the toe consistently three quarters of an inch with the exact same delivery characteristics is really, really hard. And to be honest, they don't want to do that because they don't want to groove their swing for a miss hit. So they're always trying to groove their swing for a correct hit. The beauty of what we can do is we can not only hit the perfect shot, but we can hit the imperfect shot. And we can hit a shot that misses all over the club face. We can close the face. We can open the face. We can hit down on the ball. We can hit up on the ball. And, and what I mean by that is we can real world. We can duplicate any type of launch conditions. And in doing so, what we're able to do is generate insights, not in a – perfect laboratory that doesn't have any relevance to the average player but we can develop insights for a beginning golfer an intermediate golfer a better golfer an elite golfer and even tour players so like uh, bryson our two yes like bryson we've worked quite a bit with bryson uh in the past and uh it's the same thing when i'm working with bryson he'll have me set the robot up for a swing and then I'll say, hit the ball on the toe. And then I'll watch it and go, yep, that's what happens. And now he's got a visual feedback so that when he's on the course and he knows what happened, he'll know how much of that was the face angle coming in and how much of that was the off center hit causing gear effect and bulge and um, different types of uh, directional bias. But without that information and without those visual cues, it's a real challenge to kind of self-diagnose your game. And so we're able to generate that kind of information. And I'm really looking forward to the next six months because, you know, I think that we're going to be able to provide a lot of insights uh, to the um, to the golfer, the listener, the reader, the viewer, and really bring home some interesting things. My whole thing is to simplify the complex i.e physics data a lot of stuff that people's eyes roll back in their head what i want to do is be able to present that in ways that are digestible and more importantly allow players to hopefully get better information about purchasing golf equipment and also some tips along the way to help them enjoy the game a little bit more yeah i i never thought of myself as the the smartest guy on this podcast i was usually always the dumbest but, but now I'm officially the dumbest guy on this podcast because I've got like one of the brightest minds in the fitting space in, in the serial killer. And now I have Mr. Robot. So I, I kind of feel like, uh, kind of feel like, like one of the Avengers. Like I, I just feel like, you know, are you like, Hawkeye? I, got, I got some guys around, I got some guys around me that, that are kind of protect me. I might have some sort of powers. Maybe it's just the power of, you know, just speaking a whole lot of things that don't make a whole lot of sense, but at least I've got you guys here to, to keep me on the straight and narrow. But yeah, I mean, as Gene mentioned, having having Gene on the podcast is is going to be able to give you a better idea of what this product is going to do. And I say that because this week we are starting a new segment on the podcast where we're going to do a deep dive into each one of the, the new driver brands. So this week we're going to be covering Callaway's new Rogue ST line. Gene has a lot of great insights. I want to have Chris talk about what he's seeing from the fitting side and give you guys the opportunity to, you know, get an idea of what this product does. And maybe as you're listening, maybe you go, man, that driver sounds like one that would benefit my game. It sounds like the misses on that one are mitigated in the areas where I tend to miss. So hopefully the insights that we're going to be given each week, again, we're starting with Callaway, we'll go into TaylorMade, Cobra, Ping, Titleist, we'll do them all. 
each and every week. But again, Callaway this week, trying to get some of the, to some of the new stuff. But with that, I think we got to talk about last week's win for Hideki Matsuyama. Did you guys have a chance to see the playoff in person? Or not in person, but did you have a chance to see it on TV? Saw the replay. Oh, yeah. Really impressed. <laughs> so oh, yeah. somebody humbly. said really the, the three-wood that he hit was the – somebody said on social it was the best three-wood shot they'd ever seen. And I, I would almost tend to agree 276 in a playoff on the second hole of a sudden-death playoff against Russ Henley – and Hideki hits an absolute dart with this three wood from 276. He stuffs it to, you know, a couple of feet from the hole. And I mean, everybody went nuts. But I think the one like big takeaway for me was, man, that guy just did that with a three wood. Not, yeah. not with a nine iron or, you know, some sort of, you know, mid iron going into the hole. He did that with a three wood. And I just felt even worse about my golf game. Well, that's to your point, Jay Wall. I mean, three wood, arguably for most of us in the amateur space, one of the hardest clubs in the bag to hit consistently well. And and to watch the precision that he executed that shot, that was impressive. And there's not a lot of guys, I mean, potentially even on tour that could pull that shot off in that space. I mean, playoff hole, like you said, and be able to execute that shot, really, really impressive. Yeah. We, we well, and I, and I think, well, I was going to say, I think the thing that really intrigued me about that shot was, um, and Chris, I'd like to hear your take on this, kind of, you know, from the fitting world, but tour players treat their three woods a little bit different than the typical amateur golfer. And the typical amateur golfer is looking at their three wood kind of one of two ways. One is either a driver replacement or two as the club that, you know, gets, gets the ball in play on a tight par four or, you know, gets it up close on a, on a par five. But for most amateur players, they hit a three wood and it goes out low and it has a tendency of coming down low and running. Um, what Matsuyama did, and, and this is wild to see, and it's it's utilizing a three-wood almost like an eight-iron there. In, in other words, and, and he did a couple interesting things. One, he had 177 miles of ball speed, miles per hour ball speed. That is massive. I mean, that's that's up there, you know, in the in the in you know, top 20% of driver ball speeds. But secondly, he played a bit of a cut, and in doing so, he launched the ball high. And he put more spin on the ball and dropped it gently. And that's something that the uh, the average amateur probably never can even envision. Now, when you get into single-digit players, some of them will use that, but they'll still use a bump-and-run philosophy. So, uh, Chris, what, what, are, what are your takes in the fitting world on that as far as, you know, kind of the trajectories that you see of the average player with the, with the fairway wood? Well, that's, I mean, in our space, majority of players that come through TrueSpec that we go through a custom fitting with, there's a large percent of those players that just don't really have a business hitting a three-wood. I mean, they're not seeing much of a benefit to having a club with such a low loft, low launch, low spin. Most out there, the, the companies keep going down this path of, cutting spin, cutting spin, cutting spin to the point to where now a three wood just doesn't launch high enough and or produce enough spin 
to keep the ball stable and in the air to really benefit from it. So the majority of players will make that switch to a 3HL or 4-wood or even a 5-wood and see more consistency, more distance, better launch characteristics than what that 3-wood is. So, I mean, the players that do get the 3-wood in the bag because they have enough spin or enough speed or a combination of, the bo- of, of both, it's, uh, I mean, it's still not characteristically common to see that type of ball speed and to be able to hit an apex height to produce a landing angle with enough speed to get the ball to stop like that coming into a green. I mean, to your point, Gene, even players that do still game a three-wood, if you're getting a landing angle over 40 degrees, that's pretty impressive for most guys out there. And, I mean, that thing had quite a bit of spin and was coming in, like you said, kind of like an eight iron to have that kind of stopping power on that green. It was, I mean, it's just a shot that not many people could pull off. I can't say that enough. Totally agree. Part of the reason why I don't carry a three-wood because I have no chance in hell of ever replicating a shot like that. <laughs> no chance. I mean, I I carry a 17-degree lofted wood after my driver, and there's no chance I could pull that shot off off of a tee. And, I mean, even having a little bit of help on a tee, not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, we have seen even, like, tour pros going to higher lofted fairways instead of instead of the traditional 15 now some of those guys that I've talked to said the reason they, they don't do a traditional 15 degree is because they that doesn't fit their gap it's it's too close to their driver so they need sure. to get a little bit higher and go to maybe a maybe a five wood and some guys have even gone to seven woods just to try and get that that launch and, and to fit the gap a little better now that doesn't that's not the reason why the average amateur is probably putting one of those clubs in play probably more for the consistency and to have a fairway finder in the bag and something that you can hit high into the par fives. But yeah, I mean, Matsuyama, again, it's just, that was a reminder of how good those guys are when they have any club in their hand. doesn't matter if it's, if it's a lob wedge or a three wood. I mean, if they catch one just right like that, I mean, they're hitting, they're hitting three wood as, as, as close as they would probably a wedge from, from 120 if they had a perfect lie and in a good number. So anyway, super impressive from him, but, but it does point out, you know, tour pros and amateurs, they use three wood very differently, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you, you can't put it through in the bag. It's, it's, it has, it might have a place, but if you're going to put it in there, try and keep a high lofted fairway in there as well, just to sort of fit that, you know, second shot or into a par five, if you ever feel the need to, uh, to not lay up anyway. So I had, the opportunity last week, you know, I've been doing this for a while now, but there are guys that I talk to on a regular basis that still get me excited. And one of those guys is Scotty Cameron. And I think it's because as a kid growing up, you know, I remember watching Tiger win the 97 masters and, you know, at the time he had the, the Newport Torellian putter. And I'm like, Oh man, I got to get one of those. Like a lot of kids did. And so I remember the first time I talked to Scotty and it was, it was sort of like a fanboy experience when I was, you know, younger in the industry and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm speaking to Scotty Cameron. And, you know, these days, I mean, Scotty and I were talking last week, he has a new Phantom X putter that dropped at the Sony Open. And I was just trying to kind of get a little bit of insight on kind of what he's doing at the moment with, with, you know, in terms of his putters and the conversation shifted to, uh, to a fun topic. I asked him because I hadn't talked to him since the PNC and I asked him about, 
Tiger and Charlie. And you know, like, what, what was it like for him to see Charlie Woods with one of his putters? I know it's his, his dad's backup, but it's got his name on it. It's a Scotty Cameron putter. And Scotty talked about being, you know, he turned 60 this year, which, I mean, the guy does not look 60. I mean, if not you see Scotty, he still, he still has the, you know, California suntan and the flowing locks. And he does not look 60, doesn't look a day over 50 even. But he said it was kind of cool because he had a third generation using one of his putters. And I thought, that's kind of weird. Three generations. And he told me he told me a couple of stories that I thought were fun that I just thought would I would share. One of them was he said that when Tiger was in the shop when he was when he was you know early on when he'd come into town, he said that Tiger would ask Scotty to to make a putter for Pops. So Earl actually was rolling a Scotty Cameron putter as well, which I didn't realize. I thought that was kind of a cool story. And again, just goes to show you his relationship with the Woods family. But the other one that I that I absolutely loved was we've we've told the story before on this podcast back in 2016 tiger was asked about his his in, indoor studio at home and the the conversation kind of shifted to his putter collection and he jokingly said there were two putters in his collection that charlie woods couldn't touch one of them was the iconic newport 2 gss that he's used to win 14 majors obvious the other one was the Torellian putter and so Scotty said at the end, he's like, I remember at the end of, of that interview, Tiger said something along the lines of sorry, Charlie. And he went (laughs) right at that moment, he went and he built a putter. He, he, cause I asked him, I was like, all right, is this the same putter that he put in play? But he, he's like, no, no, it it was just a retail production model putter, but he stamped on the bottom of it by Scotty for Charlie only. And so he made up, he made a putter for, for Charlie. It was just, you know, it's just kind of cool to, to, again, to talk putters with Scotty, but you know, the, the fact that he has that relationship with Tiger and now he's, he's kind of in a roundabout way, getting a relationship with Charlie, you know, he, Scotty said he didn't even know about the, the Newport two GSS that he used when he was at the PNC. He said it just kind of came through his tour team they ended up taking that putter, that backup, and taking it onto the truck and cutting it down for Charlie, adding some additional weight because as Chris for sure knows, when you're cutting down putters, you're going to be changing the overall weight of that putter. And so they had to actually find a, some different ways to add, modify that head to add more weight to it for, for Charlie just to kind of get a little bit more of the, the feel back to it. So yeah, Scotty was excited. He even said, he's like, could you imagine if that, like, what do you think a Charlie Woods, you know, Charlie Woods used Tiger Woods backup putter would go for? And I was like, man, I don't know. Probably like a million and a half, <laughs> two million. Don't you think? Is that, is that number crazy? I, I'm not surprised by that. anything anymore. And the, the amount of money that some of that just one of a kind, one off. Yeah. How do you put a number on it? I mean, it's one of those you put it in a live auction and just watch it go. And don't be surprised about what it goes for. Yeah. Anyway, it was it was fun. It was fun to talk to Scotty and and just the the fact that he kind of told some stories that I'd never heard before, just about about Tiger and, and Charlie. And but I do, I mean, you know, he and I were saying like one one and a half million, I think, probably pretty conservative. I mean, one of Tiger's backups sold last year for almost four hundred K. 
And I mean, that putter, I don't think had any sort of provenance for, you know, being used in a, in a tour event. So yeah, I, I would have to think probably like at least a million and a half, which is just crazy. Charlie Woods putter. He's only 12 and we're, we're talking about wow. him like he's, you know, the second coming. I do. I think he is. I think he's, I think he's something special, but anyway, I agree. yeah, I know. I, th- I think a lot of people would but we all get hyped up about the, the young phenoms nowadays days. Anyway. All right. Speaking of putters, did you see Adam Scott's new putter? He's no longer got a titleist full bag deal. And that made me wonder if he was going to be making any changes to the bag. First domino to fall. Looks like he's changing putters. This one's an interesting design. Have you, Chris, have you ever tried out one of those lab putters before? What? Like one of these? Oh, one of, one of these putters? prepared, sir. I, I am super impressed. Buddy. Well done. It looks I mean, like it's got a bottle opener on the back. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> that's like the, that's like the nice thing. So there were, there were some comments when I posted some photos of this on social. Um, there were some very interesting comments, ones that are not, uh, for consumption on, on this fair podcast. It I've, I've, I've known about these guys for quite a while. And the results that you get with the directed force putters are really, really impressive. And if I can get it in a player's hands and have them try it, the results are, are really, really consistent. And there is such a large demographic of players out there that would benefit from this putter. And the way that they engineer it, the technology that they have, and you start to listen to the presentation of essentially how they came up with this design and what it is designed to do and how it eliminates torque. It's, it's really impressive. And then you just go, wow, well, that makes sense. But the biggest complaint is, I mean, you already hit on a J wall is just the overall appearance of it. If you can get past the appearance and focus on the results, results are fantastic. How tough is that as a fitter, though, with, with, a, with a putter like that? How difficult is it just to get it in the hands of, of a player just because it's so wildly different than anything else out on the market? It's so player-dependent. I mean, there's, there's players out there that are purely performance-driven, and those are the people that really benefit from the brand-agnostic approach. They let numerics and they let recommendations and performance dictate what it is that finds a spot in their bag. And then you have the players out there that kind of have some biases. And that's where I really love robot testing and having Gene with us is you take all of the human influence and the human bias out of the equation and you just focus on pure numbers. Now, if I can get a player past the acoustics, past the lines, past the optics, past the, you know, just the overall shape, even sometimes the brand. I mean, I can bring a brand up in conversation. Oh, I don't want to hit that. And it's, you know, they, they have no reason as to why they don't want to hit this product. Oh, have you tested this before? No. And why don't you? Oh, I just, I've never liked them. It's like, well, they do come out with new products every year. But there's, there's just certain biases that prevent people from, you know, potentially finding that, that ever-elusive unicorn or magic wand that might be the uh, the cure for all that ails them. Well, I think I think it's that I think it's that Ford versus Chevy argument that you know you talk to a Chevy truck driver, 
they wouldn't be seen dead in a Ford and vice versa. <laughs> and, you know, it, 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 but it, it extends to golf equipment. And, you know, we all know there's the Titleist player, there's the Ping player, there's the, you know, and then there's the TaylorMade and the Callaway players. I, I got a question for you in regard to that putter, Chris. Mm -hmm. um, do you know what the MOI is on that? I don't. So they have, they have a couple of different models out there and, I uh, I don't know what the uh, what the MOI claim is on them. Uh, so 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 just you know for full description, MOI is moment of inertia, and, and the higher the number, the more resistant it is to twisting. And um, I was looking at pictures while we were discussing this, and if I had to guess, they probably got a pretty high MOI number, and that's what minimizes minimizes that twisting or torsional. Um, you don't need much on a putter to twist so mm -hmm. that a 10-foot putt misses by one or two inches to the right or to the left. And it looks like with that construction and the center um, shafted um, uh, design that they're probably going to be lower or higher on the MOI, which minimizes twisting, which probably is the benefit to helping kind of with a better strike and a, uh, a straighter shot. Would you say nine thousand plus would be your? Uh... So nine thousand plus is getting up there. That's getting really, you know, you're starting to get into almost like the super mallets at that point. Mm -hmm. But looking from its design, it kind of looks like a super mallet. You know, it's got this crazy, as Jay Wall said, you know, bottle opener on the back. I mean, you know, well, I don't even look know at the exactly. Size it's of it's almost thing. like two putters. Yeah, and just the size alone. I, yeah, I wear a yeah. large glove, and I mean, this thing is pretty good size. Yeah, and you know, there's um, you know, there was a there was a putter <clears throat> years back, the heavy putter, and that was that like a that was like a telephone pole. Yep. But you know, and and players had a tough time with it just because of the lack of feel due to the weight. But it had the best MOI going, and it was just. You know, if you think about it, a whip is going to have the lowest MOI because you've got nothing there. And a telephone pole would have the most MOI. It's not going to twist when it makes impact. This looks a little bit more on the telephone pole side than it does the uh, the, the whip side or, you know, more kind of a blade like putter. So. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, though. So Adam Scott switches this week and I mentioned it in a follow up tweet on twitter but this isn't the first time he's used that putter he used no it he's in, used it yeah, he's used it yeah he's used it in past. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah he used it in 2019 when he finished i think he was t15 that year at the masters and he, he had this one in the bag so it, it had a it had a decent little run but it does make you wonder you know when a guy when a guy drops a deal i saw you know adam scott has a unique low apparel deal and he's got the unique low bag which would make me assume that the unique low deal is pretty lucrative because you can switch out of having a, you know, Titleist bag and, and get your apparel brand now on the side panels, which is, which is a pretty high profile spot when it comes to a tour pro. And then that frees him up to, to make changes. And I guess one of the things he must've really liked that putter because pretty soon after he ends up parting ways with Titleist for the full bag side, I mean, he still has glove, ball and shoe. But yeah, it, it does make you wonder what's the first one to, to go. And it's the putter. That was the one that he really wanted to get in the bag. So pretty interesting. We'll see, we'll see how long it lasts. But 
But I do, you know, anytime a guy drops his full bag deal and tries to go the free agent route, those are the like the first couple of clubs you know were the ones that they really wanted to try and get in the bag. And Adam Scott, what's the one club that's always sort of been like the elusive club, kind of for like the same, I would say, for Hideki, you know, amazing ball striker, but he's always struggled with the putter. He's been hot and cold. Adam Scott, you could say the exact same thing about him. I mean, he's always been hot and cold with putter. He told us maybe like a year or so ago, he admitted he admitted admitted to us that he will use putters in practice rounds that he has no intention of using in competition just simply to give himself a fresh look when he gets his gamer back in his hands on Thursday. Like that's that's the epitome of a head case in my opinion. Yeah, that's really weird. But oh well, <laughs> if it works. But I mean, I mean let's let's face it, you know, he 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 went to anchoring. He's, you know, he's he's he struggled. It, it, putting is not something that, you know, at least it seems like comes uh I don't want to say naturally, but fluidly to him. It's it's not just a sea ball hit ball. There's a lot going on between the years that he's got to do to 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 get that putt lined up. Yeah. He's not the only one. I mean, I, I think back to Webb Simpson. You know, Webb was Webb was a guy who was who was anchoring. You know, he was using the he was using belly putter, and you know, then they dropped the the anchor ban, and Webb struggled for a little bit until he found arm lock, and then now he's you know back to being one of the, the better players in the world. But you can see if you just look at his his putting numbers, so. Uh, confidence, as we've talked about in this game, doesn't matter if you're tour pro or an amateur. Confidence is huge in golf, <laughs> and if you don't have confidence in the gear that's in your bag, if there's one club, Chris likes to call it. We, we've called it the rat in the bag before. I would call it the rat in the bag in this situation. Sure, it maybe yep. it's an ill, it's an ill-fitting golf club, but maybe it's just one that you just cannot figure out. So anytime you have to hit it, it's a problem. Putter, I, I feel like has got to be up there. If you were to poll players and ask them what the rat in the bag is on a more regular on a more regular basis, I would guess putters probably one of the tops because you see guys testing new putters all the time. Hell, Hideki has eight putters in the bag every week, except every you know he's week. been using he's been using the same Newport two putter for a little while now since he won the Masters. It's like why do you even consider changing? But I know he still has other putters. He's still tinkering. He's a golfer. You're, you're, you're oh, still going to tinker even when things are good. Well, even if they're the, good. The Could funny, be better. And the, and the funny thing is from a testing perspective, you know, when we test putters, they're the most simple clubs to test because you only control two things, direction and velocity. Bingo. It's really but simple. But it doesn't matter, Gene. And I know, I know, but it's crazy because, I mean, you know, you get into a driver and you've got lawn, spin, side spin, curvature, you know, but with a putter – you just got to get it rolling on the line and and on the right line at the right speed. It's it it really is a simple implement, and yet, you know, from the best players in the world, the beginning golfers, it's the one that makes their head spin, and they you know it's 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 there's voodoo in there, and you know oh, they yeah. just they're convinced they're convinced this this putter just ran out of its juice, doesn't have it anymore. So time to go find another shiny object that does the exact same thing. So that's, but that's hey, when you bring that, the timeout closet in play. When one, <laughs> when one hey, quits hey. working, it goes in timeout. Another one comes out back in the rotation. Yeah. I buy it. I totally buy it. It's a thing. Oh I'm telling it is a thing. It's trending. It's a thing. 
It is definitely a thing. And, and our own Luke Curtinine has, has other ideas for just putting clubs that he's never even hit yet. Just throw them in the timeout closet right away. And, and just, just put them in their place. Don't even let them get the chance to have an ego. So plenty of people are using the timeout closet in their, their own, their own way to see if it works. Why not? And if you haven't, I test it. it. Test it. Worth doing. That is true. Worth doing. I know. We, 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 always, we always will preach that. Go out and test it. Don't just go buy something off the rack. Make sure that you, you get fit. And there's a, better, there's a better chance at that point that you're actually going to find something that's going to hit for your bag. But all right. Other changes that I wanted to point out beyond Adam Scott gear news this week was, was pretty decent, I would say. So some of the other big names are, are over in the desert playing in Abu Dhabi. You've got Rory McIlroy. I saw Rory with the new TaylorMade Stealth Plus driver. That Plus model seems to be the one that's the like tour player choice right now. That's the one with the the adjustable weight track in the sole. I've I can't tell you. I don't know if I've really seen anybody with with the standard Stealth out on tour. It's just pretty much the Plus or nothing at the moment. I, I'm curious pluses. to see if that changes. Yeah, a lot of pluses. So Rory's Rory's got the driver. I saw Tommy Fleetwood. You know he was using the. Uh, do I even say it again? Why, hell, why not? The Lance Armstrong. He was using the one ball putter from Odyssey, that custom <laughs> one ball. And uh, anyway, yeah, I know. There we go. There, there are the delayed laughs. You guys, I was, just, I was a little, I was, yeah. I was a little slow in the uptake on that one. I, I know it's 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 too good. It just flies over everybody's head, but. Fleetwood's now dropped the the custom one ball for it looks more like a pretty standard Odyssey you know answer style blade, but he has the LA Golf shaft back in there. He had been using Stroke Lab Odyssey shaft, and so it looks like he's going to be trying something new this week. Uh, you know, other things that I think are are pretty interesting right now. Fujikura. Drop the new Ventus, the new Ventus TR. Now we've seen the TR naming on the speeder products from Fuji in the past. Now they're dropping the TR on the Ventus products. TR was was stood for tour rated, and they have a new. I guess it's about two years in the making. A new Ventus out. It's just the mid-launch version for now. I kind of grilled the Fuji guys on if more models were coming. They're pretty coy about it, but I think we know. If there's already a mid-launch blue Ventus TR, there's probably a pretty good chance you're going to see some additional ones. That that Ventus has been wildly popular out on tour. Been wildly oh, yeah. popular. Yeah, I'm so Chris is going to say because I'm sure it's been wildly popular at TrueSpec, and uh, and it's it has so many different models, so you can fit guys in. I mean, they have a red, they've got a blue, they've got a black, high, mid, low launch. We've seen them out on tour, and and we've seen them in the bags of guys that are winning. And this one, based on what they had told me, is it's just more stable. What they found is sort of in that transitional period from getting the club the top and then transitioning down before you hit ball, they were just noticing that they could make some improvements to the stability there in that midsection handle. So they've upped the stability there to about 10%, which is pretty substantial when you consider it's a golf shaft and they're already, you know, they've got an Enzo system that they're able to, to you know, prototype these shafts and see how it's moving on the downswing and at impact to see if there's any ways to make those improvements. So more stable in Adventus TR. Um, other than that, uh, Titleist came out with a new AVX. It's their new third generation AVX golf ball. 
uh, you know, like a lot of golf balls out there, they're looking to give you more greenside spin, more distance. The, the AVX is going to be, you know, somebody asked me today when I posted a story, what is, what is the AVX? How does it, is it basically just a Pro V1? And I said, yeah, I mean, it's got a urethane cover like the Pro V1 and, you know, they share some technologies, but man, Chris, Gene, I, I know you guys have done testing with, with AVX, but that ball is like low spin, low launch, probably not what you'd want if you were a tour pro too low, too, too low in both categories. But yeah, so you're going to be able to get more greenside spin now, but still keep that low launch, low spin that I think a guy like me, you know, I'm actually starting to warm to the idea of, of maybe testing AVX more because as a highball guy, I, I'm kind of thinking that might, might be uh, in my wheelhouse. That, that might be it. Well, no, uh, I, I, I was going to say, I can tell you hundred percent if you're a highball guy, um, you should absolutely look at that because that was what they designed it for. And, um, and if you, if you get a little spinny as a highball guy, then you really want to, you know, kind of take a look at that. Um, I mean, it, it, it was an interesting product placement by Titleist because they felt like they needed to, um, you know, kind of create something that complemented both the Pro V and the Pro V or Pro V one and the Pro V one X and, um, and do so on the lower spinning side. And I think to be quite honest, chase some of those guys that, you know, were looking for the 1900 spin off of a driver. Now, you know, the average spin of a tour player is like 2,500. So 1900, it, they're just rocket ships, but it's pure energy transfer at that point. Um, of the club head speed to ball speed, which just absolutely maximizes distance. So, yeah, I see it in my future. Chris, have you tested AVX? I have. I as a uh, as a low launch, low spin guy, I can say with uh, the utmost amount it's of uh, confidence that it is not for me. It's <laughs> not my ball. Not yeah. my ball. I think. I think. How, I think what, it might what, be mine. What kind of what kind of difference, Chris? Do you see? I mean, is it like visual when you when you tee up with the driver with that? I I definitely see a difference in driver, and then also approach shots, and what I get around the green is it's substantially different. the uh, The shots that I'm used to seeing a little bit more responsiveness from the the little pitches and chips and little subtle touch and feel shots that I'm used to watching one hop and stop, or they take two little bounces and, you know, release a couple of feet. It, testing a golf ball like that, I'll see it take one hop and then roll, I mean, 30 plus mm. percent more than what I'm seeing on some of the other golf balls. Uh, same thing off the tee with driver. The launch window is just extremely flat, kind of knuckles and falls out of the sky. Uh, approach shots into the green with anything higher than about the eight iron starts to get a little squirrely for me going for a front pin or a back pin isn't necessarily conducive to scoring uh, something in the middle yeah, I can land it short and let it release but if I'm going for a front pin or a back pin and playing a ball like AVX for me being a low spin player just doesn't work for me well and I think that I think that brings home the point that fitting is not just for uh, drivers, irons, shafts, you know, wedges, it's for balls too. And you need to know 
not only what your golf ball is doing off your driver, but as you just so eloquently said, off of your mid iron, your short iron, and to get an idea of what those performance character performance characteristics are. So you really, really need to, if you're serious about your game, spend a little time on a launch monitor hitting different types of golf balls and figure out which golf ball is optimized. And one of the things that I love about the ABX um, is that Titleist has expanded the family to give you different options, understanding that not every player swings the same. And you've got Jay Wall who's looking at it. You got Chris who wants to throw it in the lake, you know? So, and that's, the, <laughs> that's great because uh, you, you know, you've got a product that fits one player, but doesn't necessarily fit another. And it's like everything in golf, it, there is a customization aspect. That's, that's really critical. Last gear release that I want to point out. Cobra has a new LTDX. It's now finally out. Bryson's been teasing it for a while now. He had some videos of him on his YouTube channel testing the new prototype. And I went back and looked at the videos and they're, it's kind of like blurred out, but you know, after seeing it, I'm like, oh yeah, there's, there's, L, there's the LTDX LS driver that is using. So it comes in different models. You've got the LTDX standard LTDX, the LS, which is the low spin Bryson model. And then the, the max, which is going to be more of your, you know, for, for, you know, to induce a draw bias. But I will point this out on the podcast. I did not point it out on Twitter, but I had a lot of people, uh, maybe a couple months ago when we were doing robot testing, I, I kind of teased the fact that there was a driver out there that had a carry delta sub five yards carry delta, but and that was comparing center hit versus all the other eight points. And that was Cobra. LTDX, I've been getting man, questions. I've been getting questions about it's that. It's really, it's really freaking good. Uh, you know, Tursky and I tested it, and with with the Foresight GC quad, and it was really good. I mean, the big thing that we kept coming back to the whole time when we tested it, and those videos are now up on Golf.com, even though Tursky's involved in them. I should probably just like black him out or something, but, uh, the, <laughs> is the sensor the, bar the one, over him? Yeah. Yeah. The sensor bar just over Tursky's entire body. It would be, it'd be easy. I mean, he's the human one iron. So it'd be easy to get like a thin, like black bar there. But yeah, the one thing that we kept hitting on was just how stable that driver was. I mean, we hit all the new products when we were out there for the, you know, for those three or four days testing and getting stuff on camera, but that may have been the most stable product. I mean, it just never really deviated from its line. And, you know, you think about, okay, it's a super stable driver and you're getting sub five yards of, you know, carry Delta, no matter where you're hitting it on the face. If you're a guy that isn't very consistent, you don't get out that often to play. Man, I would say like make sure an LTDX driver is in your testing rotation if you're going to go consider buying a new driver. Just just a suggestion. They did it. They did a good job on that. We'll we'll go into a deeper dive on another uh, podcast, but they've got some they've got some interesting performance characteristics on certain parts of the face too. Yeah, um, yeah they uh, they they. They did a really good job with that family yep. this year. They did a really good job. You know who else did a really good job? Callaway with their drivers. So yeah. I, okay, I'm gonna be honest here and let's just transition right into this. Is get like I'm already super excited because this is, in my opinion, probably gonna be what's gonna differentiate this podcast from a lot of the other gear podcasts out there. Is we're gonna be able to give you, as I mentioned at the top, you know, insights from Chris from the fitting side, but also insights that Gene's kind of compiled from the robot side. 
But I got to say, you know, Callaway has, I would say over the last few years, their drivers have been good. But I haven't really seen anything from them that made me go, wow. Like the, it, it was, it was solid. I mean, I jokingly said for, for some of the drivers, like it's a cheeseburger. Like you're going to like, most people are, are going to like it. It's a, it's a good solid product. Like Callaway has been churning it out. They've got AI in the mix. They continue to keep improving how like AI is designing the face on those drivers. And then they bring out this rogue ST and you set it down. And for me being a guy who hates seeing like a really high gloss crown. He's got the matte finish. It's got a good look to it. I'm like, all right. And then we hit it. And Tursky, I mean, I, I I go back to that that triple diamond LS. My word, he was just roasting that thing. And then, of course, we did the robot testing with Gene and the drivers performed pretty damn well, Gene. I mean, what, what were some of the takeaways from the robot side that really stood out to you with that Rogue ST line? Well, the, the, the thing that I really enjoyed about testing the, the Rogue ST line this year is one of the challenges, and I'll be honest, we see it sometimes in years past and with certain you know um, manufacturers, is a lot of the products are really similar. And when products are really similar, it becomes a real challenge to review, to analyze, and more importantly, to make recommendations as to what type of players should be playing that uh, specific product. With this, it was pretty easy, and I can I can tell you why. Um, uh, first off, the entire line had some of the um, highest launching, greatest launch angle of all of the ten point five drivers that we that we hit. So they all hit the ball high. Um, they also had really good spin. Sometimes when you hit the ball really high, you also get a corresponding higher spin rate that has a tendency of losing distance. So that was first. Second, um, going in, especially with the ST Max, it had great drop off in distance. And so um, we've talked about it. We're going to get into it more. The way to think of a golf club, especially a driver, is the lower third of the club face, the middle part of the club face, and the upper third of the club face. And we know we hit the ball all over on the club face, but by going and hitting nine points, we're able to tell you where the club is maximum in distance and where it's minimum of distance. And um, with this Rogue ST Max, especially along the lower third of the club face, it had some of the least drop-off of all of the clubs on the marketplace. So it really had good weight characteristics. And if you hit the ball lower on the face, um, the ST Max – really was a good performing golf club. And that's that's uh, a good thing because you think about like a max, that max head, who's that going to most benefit? I mean, Chris, you, you can disagree here, but I would say like a driver like that's for that mid to high handicapper, it's, there's the name max in it for a reason. It's supposed to be the, the more forgiving and, and guys in that mid to high range, like their tendency is to miss it low on the face, which to me would say if, if we're seeing it on the robot, that would mean that if you're a guy that misses it low on the face and you're kind of that mid to high handicap range, I would say Max is is maybe your your Huckleberry. Absolutely. And then uh, transitioning to the Max D, it had the strongest draw or left direction out of 
the entire family. And to be honest, had one of the strongest draw uh, biases out of all of the drivers. So the Max-D, um, it launched a little higher and spun a little bit more, which is okay because you want to get that ball in the air. Um, but it had a definite left bias, which it definitely was um, – it, w- it was doing its job. Let's let's say that. So there we go. So you, now you've got a driver with one of the, the heaviest draw biases. So there's for the guy who's dealing with a really nasty slice. Maybe you're maybe you're keeping it on the map a little bit more. Keeping it's, some golf balls in your golf bag. It's oh, really uh, interesting and, and, how they did it too. As if you look at that head, the the adjustable weight or the removable weight that they have in that Max D head. It doesn't take up a lot of weight as far as total weight for the head. I mean, it's at two it's grams. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's not yes. it's not it's not pretty. It's not a pronounced. I totally agree. It's it's not like they just jammed a whole bunch of weight there in in the heel. It's Mm-mm. it was it was done in a really smart way. It's still utilizing I if it's, AI. If it's internally weighted. Well, that, yeah, even well, looking at the cutaway. Some, yeah. There's, there's not, there's I, not a lot of internal weight. I agree, but I think Chris just nailed it. AI. I mean, the way that they're able yeah. to design those faces. Here's something interesting. You know, we talked a little bit about this on a previous podcast, and I, I went to try and verify it. The whole story about, I mean, we had kind of put our tinfoil hats on and said, does, does Callaway design like a special? Because you know they can, they can like optimize the face depending on like where do golfers typically hit these, these shots? Like these are their misses. Let's opt to have the AI optimize it to benefit them, but they do it for tour pro. So it's maybe not as like, as like widespread as we think, but they're definitely going that direction to being able to like fully optimize a driver face for tour pro. Now, like trying to bring that to market would be crazy difficult, but, but at least they're already working that direction when it comes to the tour side. Well, and that and that makes sense as far as you know what I was talking about the least drop off in distance on the lower third of the club face because you know as we know a lot of players they don't tee it high enough and they hit it down there and so to provide you know uh, performance advantages in that zone is is brilliant if you know if if that's the data that they're getting the uh, the 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 last thing I'd like to say on the family that's really interesting, and I think that um, this is going to be uh, really important information if you're looking uh, to shop for this new uh, Callaway Rogue line. Um, there was a big difference in spin between the ST Max, the Max LS, and the Triple Diamond, and the um, Max LS, the uh, ST Max had a good spin, kind of average amongst 10.5 geometric center of the club face. The Max LS had 300 RPM less than that. And then the ST Triple Diamond LS had 300 RPM less than that or 600 RPM less than the Max. And so I think they did a really good job there creating major lines of differentiation for spin so you know back to our discussion on the avx if you know if you're only spinning at you know 1800 eh, triple diamonds probably not for you you might want to look at the at the max but if you're spinning at 3000 you might want to look at the max ls and if you're spinning at 3300 you might want to look at the triple diamond but by differentiating 
three products, all 10.5 with 600 RPM of spin difference between them. It really gives you three good options um, to look at to get a uh, proper launch and spin uh, fit. And this this is important. I'm glad you pointed this out, Gene, because we tested some drivers and there was not uh, a significant different a significant difference in spin from one model right. to the next. And when you're talking right. about a lineup, I mean Callaway's driver lineup has four driver models. So you do yep. want you do wonder and also you know also worry that okay are we going to get two driver models that are going to start to overlap in terms of performance? You know, is, is the spin going to be too close? How do we kind of make sure that each one of these golfers is going to find a benefit in each one of these models? And right there, I mean, if you're having 300 RPMs difference in spin between the Max and the Max LS and then another 300 RPM difference between the LS and the Triple Diamond, I mean, that that's a wide enough gap to where golfers can automatically know, as you said, depending on where they already are with their driver spin, you can pick a model and feel confident that you're not just grabbing one because it has an LS in the name and you think it's the low spin when in an actuality it's too close to the max model and maybe you would have been better off with a triple diamond. Yep. hundred percent. And then you also have, I mean, a bias in those heads as well. I mean, where you have max D and max, they're going to trend towards the, the neutral to draw bias, obviously you transition into the LS, which is going to be neutral, and then you get into that triple diamond, and for the player that struggles with the left miss for a right-handed player, it's going to have you know a neutral to fade bias ball flight to it. And you have max and max D at 60 degrees on static lie angle. You transition into the LS and the triple diamond, and you're 57 and below. I mean, there's, there's different shapes, different looks, different optics. I mean for pretty much anybody that's out there. I really appreciated the fact that through the whole line of Rogue ST, they have different jailbreak designs between driver, fairway, and hybrid. I thought that was pretty interesting to see that evolution of jailbreak and how they utilize it in the different family of Metalwoods. Yeah. they. <laughs> I am also really glad that there's, there's a, a massive differentiation between you know, a lot of the technology and the drivers, the fairways and the hybrids, because it does feel like sometimes, especially when you get into the fairways and the hybrids, a lot of manufacturers will, will trumpet their new driver technology. And mm-hmm. those other clubs tend to get lost in the shuffle just because, sure. you know, drivers, it's like the sexy product it sells. It's the one that if, if a golfer is going to go out and buy something new, they're probably going to buy a new driver if it looks cool and they, they hear about the tech and it sounds like something where they can gain some distance. And then the fairways and the hybrids kind of like, eh, I mean, you're going to design them for the line, but they did, you know, Cali did a really nice job with that. And I feel like they definitely, they took their time with designing those products and, and you can see it again. And just, just the performance. I've heard a lot of good things about out, just from out on tour on the drivers, but you know, it hasn't been really for them. I mean, we saw a good distance numbers, but for this year, it really feels like the the story that I'm, at least that I'm hearing from tour pros is just stability and consistency and these drivers. I mean, if you get a guy like a Kevin Kisner switching from Great Big Bertha, which is a driver that came out in 2015 into the Rogue ST driver, and he's sending texts to Jacob Davidson, Callaway's head of tour saying, 
you know, right around the holidays, it was, you know, Merry Christmas, man. You get, you just gave me the best Christmas present ever. <laughs> and he means it. It's not kids just blowing smoke up sure. you know, Jacob's butt. Like he really means that he's had two good starts with the driver. So yeah, there's this, I would say, you know, okay. Obviously Taylor made has the stealth and the red face. You see it, it's visual, but I like Callaway, this driver lineup, I think is going to be really strong this year. The The testing that we did on robot and with players, I mean, these drivers checked out. There is, as Gene said, there is a driver for everybody in this lineup. And there's enough separation between the different models to where you, you can find a driver in based on what the robot was telling us. Like for instance, with the max, if you're a guy that's up mid to high and you miss it low on the face, Give the Max a try. We're not telling you to go buy this driver. We're merely just giving you insights that'll at least make you smarter when you go to get fit. Then you know what's going on and you can, you know, say, hey, look, based on what I've kind of been hearing, I think the Max might be a good one for me to test and go test it. See if it is. 100%. And I would say, I would say kind of, you know, twofold on that. One, if you're a Callaway player, you got a lot of good choices and more than likely you're going to get fit. Number two, if you're agnostic, um, there's a good chance that a Callaway driver will be put in the mix because it will be somewhere along your launch spin uh, kind of optimization window. Um, so it'll be worth looking at. So yeah, they, um, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the tailor-made story is a, is, is a major story because they switched, you know, completely to carbon and everything like that. But I, I would make the argument that Callaway has uh, blocked and tackled their way to developing a really solid uh, family that you could look at. And like I said, you know, really kind of based upon your game, find a specific club that, that really would benefit you. Yeah. Chris, what, what about you from a, from a fitting perspective? I mean, I, I think I let you borrow some heads. What, what's what's testing been like for you, putting those to uh, to work out on the golf course? So, I can tell you that I I may have had an opportunity to sneak out and play a, a round of golf with our our resident Callaway staffer, Mister Mister Cooper. <sighs> Coop. And Alice uh, Alice saw what was lingering around the uh, the studio and. Uh, and my golf bag, and immediately, uh, for lack of a better description, stole one of the Callaway Rogue heads and uh, put it on his <laughs> own shaft. Would. And yeah, well, I mean, he's going, oh, new toy, haven't seen this yet. I'm going to go ahead and thanks. Yeah, I'll, I'll bring this never. Okay. Uh, so he had uh, taken out the Rogue Max, and we're playing, and we were playing at a, a local golf course here in, in Scottsdale that we've played, you know, probably 60 times or more over the course of the last several years. And he was hitting it in places that I haven't seen him hit it ever. And the stability of the ball flight and, I mean, even his feedback. And this is somebody that plays golf six days a week all over the world and has been, like we said, one of the most tenured Callaway staff members ever. So he hits everything. And this was the first time that he'd had an opportunity to test any of the Rogue product. And he was blown away by it. He's going, can I buy this now? I'm going, eh, no, not yet. Not yet. Almost. We're almost there. But he uh, he 
did not want to give that head back. He was he was fighting me on it. He goes, I'll write you a check right now. I'm going, Coop, I'd love to. I can't do it. Uh, but he was really, really impressed. The The testing that I've done, I'm excited for 22. I, there is so much good stuff coming out, and there's so much good stuff that's going to be exponentially better for a variety of players out there. I mean, what we saw on Robot, what we saw during player testing, what I've seen at TrueSpec with my fitters and some elite-level players on tour just testing all of this different product. Our tour players that are brand agnostic with us at TrueSpec, I've had them hit everything. And the feedback that I'm getting is, I mean, it's echoed by the robot testing, but it's exciting what's coming out for 22. Yeah. I mean, we, we say this every year. We, we all get excited when new gear comes out. Oh, I absolutely. Think, I, think, I think 22 could be one of the best years in a long while. I think, I think I there's a lot, I think there's a lot of, of very, very good gear, but it, you know, every year it's good, but this year just feels a little extra special to me. I, I just, I see some designs and what, what some of the manufacturers are doing and it makes you go, yeah, they, they're starting, they're starting to kind of push through that ceiling that I kept talking about. You know, I'm like, ah, eh, driver distance, they've already reached that ceiling. And then now all of a sudden you start to see companies coming out with new face materials and, uh, you know, it can't get much more stable than this. Then you see, you know, sub five yards carry delta between, you know, center and the, the other eight points on the face. So, yeah, there there's a lot yeah. of fun tech out there. But bottom line, use what we're talking about each week as we're doing these deep dives into the robot and the fitting side on these drivers. Use it as as a blueprint for for maybe how you can go into a fitting and kind of cut through the time of like testing everything. Just just be able to like tick off drivers as we're talking about them and add them to your list of potential drivers to test. And that's what we're here for. We're not, like I said, we're not here to, to tell you which one's the best because everybody's different. And at the end of the day, you got to go test it. But if we can give you some insights that maybe you didn't know about through the robot and through, through Chris's, you know, fitting feedback, that's what we're here for. All right. Well, that was fun. And that was the very first deep dive from a robot and fitting perspective that we're going to be doing for the gear that we tested for 20, 2022 club test. So Callaway is checked off the list next week. We still got some other biggies. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say who we're going to do next, but maybe you've got a, maybe you got an idea who we're going to do. So anyway, with that, I think, I think it's going to do it for episode 124 of fully equipped as always. If you want that sweet, sweet gear goodness, you can check us out on social media. We are at fully underscore equipped on Twitter. We are at fully equipped golf on Instagram. Chris, do you have social media now? Uh, you know, I've, I was getting so. Don't, don't, no, mean. no, just yes or no. Do you have social media? Yes, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Give I'm us, give us your handle. Now. Give us your handle. I, you know, I feel like it's a pretty good one. I'm uh, on Instagram, PGA wannabe. There we go. I love it. <laughs> PGA wannabe. Now, are you on Twitter too? Or are you just on the Instagram for right now? I have not. Uh, I have not dabbled in the in the Twitters yet. But, yeah, uh, don't do it. Don't do it. Just stick to Instagram. You can just scroll pictures, all all the fun stuff. Don't uh, Twitter. Twitter's I go down these rabbit of, holes on Reels, yeah. man. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know. An hour goes by and I'm still on my phone. So, all right, PGA Gone. wannabe. Check them out on Instagram. As always. 
Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.